Hello and welcome to another episode of Top- Topical Brainstorm. I'm Garrett Fox here with Christian Larson. Christian, how are you? Howdy. I'm doing well. Good. Um, today we're going over chapter one of the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. It's called The Matthew Effect. Uh, this chapter, so the Matthew effect is the idea that those who have shall have more and those that hath not will not have anything, basically. What do you think about this chapter? It was very interesting. And it's based off, the title is based off Matthew twenty-five twenty-nine about the parable of the talents and how one used his talent and gained a lot more at the end, one did not use his talent and it was taken away from him. Which is interesting and it it doesn't... Well, a lot of this, the stories in this chapter are about sports, which to me was interesting to read. I imagine you'd agree. I really enjoyed it, yeah. (laughs) But... talked about how sure some have talent and whatnot but a lot of times the way society is set up it's set up to benefit those that start off with maybe a tiny advantage and not even one that they earned one that they were just given and how that allows them to get other advantages advantages and that uh, a cumulative advantage leads to large differences down the road. And it was very interesting, some of these examples he used. I thought so, too. Uh, for example, the Canadian hockey system. <clears throat> this system uh, takes kids at a very young age and divides them up into, I'm, to make it easy, I'm just going to say uh, good, better, and best. And the best players are those kids that get put on all-star teams and travel teams and in these competitive leagues, which allows them to practice more. And uh, these good and, and you know the good and better players, they just don't have that, that advantage. And oftentimes it's broken down, especially in sports, where if there's a cutoff, uh, let's say, I think in Canada it's like December December 31st, yeah. end of the year is the cutoff. So those players born in January, they're often bigger and uh, faster just based off of when they're born. They had more time to develop. Uh, as opposed to someone that was born December 28th. The, the person born January 1st is a whole year older than the person born in December, uh, but they play in the same league. And because they're bigger, they get selected for an all-star team, which means they get to play more as opposed to the kid that would have been just as big a year from then uh, who gets put in the you know, the not-so-good league, and gets to practice less because of that. And they broke it down into these... Well, they they looked at the uh, junior championship teams 
and then the whole junior league for the top junior players, which is like 16 to 18 years old. And they found that the majority of players were born in January, February, and March. Uh, it's pretty... I mean, it's a proven fact. If you have a, a cutoff like that, those that benefit will be the ones born earlier in the year. They're outliers, but only because they, by virtue of their birthday, uh, had a small advantage at first, which led to a huge advantage down, down the road. Yeah, really interesting. And in that example, he talked about how Throughout almost all of the upper Canadian hockey leagues, 40% of the players were born in the first quarter of the year, 30 in the second quarter, 20 in the third quarter, and 10 in the final quarter of the year. And that is, that's undeniably a pattern, right? And the way he described it is this occurs whenever there are these, these steps, selection, streaming, and then differentiated experience. So... They take these six-year-olds who are starting to learn how to play hockey. They select the bigger ones who happen to be born in January because they're, that's a huge difference when you're six or seven or eight years old. Those who that's, can be a 10, 11-month difference, right? So they obviously look better, look faster, look stronger. They select those ones. They stream them or put them into another higher league. And in that league, they get a different experience, like Garrett said. Better coaching, more time playing. <clears throat> they also broke this down, how this occurs. The same kind of system happens in European soccer and in American baseball. However, it doesn't happen nearly as much in American football and basketball. And a part of that is because no matter how old or young you are, you can play as much basketball as anybody else. Yeah, there's always courts everywhere. There's always courts. You can grab a ball. You can practice shooting. Meanwhile, in hockey, you have to have a rink. You have to have equipment. You have to have a team to play with. And then in American football, there's no really, there's not really any streaming because even even as you get into the high school level, before you hit college, at college there's kind of a streaming, but. At the high school level, you're still just playing on your high school team, pretty much everybody. And yeah, there are like a few very specific academies in the country where they take I, football players. Yeah, I think when you get into areas like Texas and Georgia and Alabama, it's different. But like, everywhere it happens else a little in the country, bit, right? Yeah. But it's not nearly as extreme as a lot of those other places. Another example he used in European soccer. I can't remember what country. I want to say it was Czech. Croatia, Czech, Czech Republic. Czech Republic. I believe. Um. And I don't remember the statistic either, but it was it was literally 80% of the team was born in the first three months of the year. Yeah. Uh, which, if you break that down, that pretty much means that if you were born in October, November, December, you, you might as well give up on your dream yeah, of go. playing for your national soccer team if you yeah. live in Europe. Go do something else. Which is, is crazy, and that also means that these teams in Europe are essentially sacrificing just about half of their potential talent pool because of the system, right? Yeah. Which is, which is okay, so <laughs> um, a conversation that Kylie and I have had. I don't know if I've told you about this, Garrett, but one day Kylie was just like, I think I need to be paid more as a nurse. 
<laughs> she's like, why are there, uh, why are there NFL quarterbacks that make millions of dollars a year for doing something that brings like no value to our country? Yet I'm a nurse, like saving lives. She didn't put it like that, but she's like, I'm a nurse, like helping actual people, and I don't get paid very much. <laughs> and my first response was like. Well, their talents are much more unique than yours, you know, and, and people are willing to pay for that entertainment. But it, it, it ended up being this really long conversation where her point of view was it's not really that unique. They're just, like, really lucky to be in that situation. Um, it's a little bit of and, both. And she made some good points, but this book kind of backs her up to yeah. some extent. And I'm, I'm excited to read more about this book so we can, so Kylie and I can develop that conversation more <laughs> yeah because she was really passionate about it but um yeah like it's it's there are definitely factors beyond what we usually chalk up as like hard work to success and uh it's crazy looking at sports how these systems have have probably shut down or you know, not nurtured a lot of talent. Yeah. That, and yeah. I can't help but think that teams would be better if they could <clears throat> work way around this because then their pool of people to choose from would be way bigger. If you could get it to the point where you're nurturing everybody until they're, you know, 10 or 11 or in some cases, you know, 15, 16 where a lot of the, the growth spurts have happened, your pool of, of talent will just be much, much bigger, um, which I would improve overall the, uh, you know, the outcome that you're looking for, which in sports is winning. Yeah. I feel like you'd win more if you had more people to choose from. It would increase competition as well. But as far as Kylie's point... I mean, healthcare is just like a huge, like, they, they generate a ton of revenue. And that's what these professional sports players are, are paid on, is, is the revenue they generate. The NFL is, generates like 16 to $18 billion every year. Healthcare is, they generate a lot more than that, I'm sure, but they're like nurses are sadly like the grunts in that field which they they shouldn't be uh they should be paid more and i think it's starting to swing that way <laughs> yeah but um that's just how it is there's a lot more congestion in the healthcare system rather than the nfl system like the nfl you're you're either a player or you're a coach or you're a ref. That, that's it. There's three different things you can do, you know? See, you're making good points, but Kylie doesn't care. Yeah, I've, I've I, tried I to make similar points. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> when people feel that, like they're underpaid, it doesn't matter what you tell them. They're, they're always going to feel like they're underpaid. Which is, they're right. They can feel that way. But I feel like I'm underpaid, but I realize that's not changing. <laughs> and uh, Kylie said this mostly as a joke, yeah. right? But... It got down to the point where we were, and we were just, and at one point she brought it up with my sister and brother-in-law, and me and Tyson, brother-in-law, tried to make her throw out a number. We were like, 
you're saying how many people on this planet could be as good as or better than Patrick Mahomes, an NFL yeah. quarterback? And Kylie was like, really didn't want to put a number on it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, a hundred? Like, oh, more than that. It's like, a thousand? She's like, probably more than that, too. Which, that was where I was like, I don't know if don't, that's possibly true. Because... I just don't believe that. <laughs> if, they, if there were that many people that were could be better, they'd find their way into that position. A few of them would, right? Yeah. Like, at least a well, few of thousands. them. thousands. And then we started talking about <coughs> if you take everybody in the whole world... And my brother-in-law was pointing out, you know, like, quarterback size and hand size and, like, the mental acuity to, like, go through reads and remember the plays. And there's a lot to that, but but if you get to, like, you take every single kid in India and China, and if they had gotten the nutrition that he got as a kid, the the training, if they had watched as much football as he had as a kid, you know, it's like... That's a lot of people who just never had a chance. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not saying I completely agree with Kylie, but I feel like I might reference this conversation a few times throughout this yeah, book to, to try to flesh out and understand her point of view better and, and give her some other arguments. Well, but. Yeah, I understand her point of view, and I don't think she's necessarily wrong. I just don't think she's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see if uh, Malcolm Gladwell can can help her out at all. But yeah. so far, we've just talked about sports, right? And probably a lot of people don't really care if if the Czech Republic soccer team is as good as it could be, right? Because they don't care about sports. Yeah. But he also gets into other parts of the world that this affects, and it does affect scholastics as well. He talks about how among fourth graders in the United States, they did a test and they found out, fourth graders are about 10, right? That the oldest fourth graders on average score between four and 12 percentile points higher than the youngest at, I don't know what test it was. It was probably like a pretty general test of things they should know in fourth grade, but 12 percentage points, which could definitely be the cutoff between a student who gets into the gifted reading program at their school and a student who doesn't, right? And because of that, teachers can confuse, as they put it, they're confusing maturity with ability. And that's like a very real-world application where younger students get screwed over and get left in the dust because you get into the gifted reading program you get better training, better yeah. coaching, yeah, better get, teachers, yeah. more experience reading. You also gain the confidence of like, oh, I'm gifted. I'm a good reader. And then you want to read more. And I'm pretty sure that's what happened to me. It's like I'm in the oldest three months of my class all through school. I remember in like second or third grade, there was a group of us. Um, I remember my buddy Easton and, you know, whoever else was in our class, we would get to go like once a week to this special little group in the library where we'd like read. And it was, I remember it was like, I don't remember what they called it, but it was like obviously like the gifted reading group, whatever that was. <clears throat> but like, did I just get in because I was older and more mature than most people in my class? It's very possible. And that has probably shaped my life in a few ways. Yeah. At least my self-perception. Anyway, it, it has real-world implications, which is pretty crazy. Bottom line, read to your kids and make them learn how to read. Yeah. Uh, in contrast, I was born in March, 
And I got put in the dumb group that needed, <laughs> that needed help learning how to read. Uh, at least that's what I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what it was looking back on it based on the other kids that were in that class uh, and myself and my grades at that time. I will say I have definitely trained myself out of that. I really enjoy reading now as opposed to second grade. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I definitely think, I mean, it could have spiraled out of control for me, though, if I had never learned just because I got depressed because I wasn't as good as other people at age two, you know, or eight, whatever age second grade is. <laughs> I don't, not, think, not I don't two. think two-year-olds are not two. know how to compare themselves yeah. quite yet. Maybe they do. I don't remember. But, yeah, I think scholastic, it's scholastically, it's a very good real-world application of this. Uh, he said the only country that didn't really have a problem with this is Denmark, and that's because they didn't differentiate and... Uh, divide kids up into different groups until they were about age 10 when most of this maturing had already happened. Um, so their brains had uh, solidified, that's the wrong word, but I'm going to use it, solidified enough to... Uh, <laughs> Less gelatinous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To uh, uh, not have that big of a difference between eight months of, of birth, you know? Yeah, and yeah, I'm sure the, the difference between the oldest and youngest diminishes, right? Yeah. And age 10, there's probably still a difference, but it's less extreme than maybe age 6 or and 5. And it, it's definitely less extreme if you haven't divided them up already yeah. and given one group favorable treatment. But at the same time, it... it I can also see it going both ways because I was put in a group to help me learn how to read better mm -hmm. because I was not that good. So yeah. in that case, maybe you could say I had a long, uh, in, in a longer term or over the space of a longer term, I had an advantage because I was being taught how to read better at a younger age than those that were older. That's a so, good point. I hadn't thought about that is... Yeah, there are probably ways to stream where you can help those yeah. who are in the lower percentiles, right? Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. One other real-world statistic. At four-year colleges, the younger groups are un underrepresented by 11.6%. So, in our country, that would be those born in, like, March through June? To April, whatever, yeah, whatever the cutoff yeah. date is, right? I think it's August. Yeah, sorry, did I say April? Yeah. I meant August or September. Kylie was born August 17th, right? So she was on the very young side of, of my class at her high school. Um, so yeah, probably those months, like August, June, July, May... Yeah. Those who are in the younger of their class, they're underrepresented by 11.6%, which at, at four-year colleges in the United States, which like that's a very real example of those kids who at some point, their maturity levels, just because of their age, they were streamed into whatever lower group. Like those are, those are real people who 
lives have been very influenced by these policies we have. Yeah. Which is sad. And it's just like such an arbitrary thing. You know? It's a, it's yeah. a cutoff date for school. Yeah. I mean, if the cutoff date was January 1st, I, I could have been very possibly a lot smarter. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could, I, yeah, my life could be different because yeah. I'd be on the younger side instead mm-hmm. of you in your class. Crazy. Um, and at the very end, he gets into a few, he kind of makes a few suggestions of solutions um, for the European soccer teams and Canadian hockey teams. He talks about splitting it up into three-month segments instead of one-year segments and how grouping those kids together, the coaches and the scouts would get to pick the cream of the crop from every quarter of age, which would give all those kids the back half from the cutoff date a fair chance, and they'd be able to find all the real talent, right, in the country. Yeah, instead of just the real talent from February to March. Which... Which, yeah, seems like such a simple solution. He even suggested that in elementary schools. Yeah. Which makes sense. Like, in my elementary school, there were three or four classes, three or four teachers in every grade. You could just split the kids up by quarter they were born. You know, yeah. it, it that wouldn't be that hard of a solution. And maybe that would throw off. I'm sure they'd try to, like make it diverse as far as gender goes and whatnot. And maybe in certain cases it would throw that off, but like that doesn't really matter. I feel like in elementary well, school. I, I think <laughs> statistically there's it would be fifty fifty. Pretty close. I mean yeah. yeah. Like in, there in would almost be every case there would be, be outliers, right? Yeah. Or there'd be some class of all boys almost. But it but, wouldn't be that many. Yeah, it wouldn't be a real concern. Anyway, those those solutions sound pretty pretty easy. To yeah. implement, right? If there are enough kids playing hockey, which there are, that's like the only Canada, hobby they have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and same with soccer in most countries. Um, and the point he made is we have these arbitrary rules that frustrate achievement. And they are set up to really benefit certain groups and frustrate others. But those groups, again, they're determined based off a of very arbitrary day right or cutoff date yeah it's just crazy that uh, yeah it's just crazy yeah i think it's a it'd be a very good solution uh but i don't think it'll anything will change unless well yeah uh, something tragic would have to happen if this if anything like this were to change, at least in the scholastic area of the U.S. of A, baby. <laughs> what do but, you mean by it? What do you mean by that? You uh, said tragic? Well, yeah, I mean, there, there's got to be a reason for it to change before it changes in our country. It won't just change by itself, and that reason would probably have to be a clear, clear difference of of kids either... I mean, let's take suicide, for example. If all of a sudden half mm-hmm. the kids in the back half of the class just got depressed and started taking that way, uh, it might eventually cause a change. But anything short of that, I don't really see it happening just by itself, you know. And I certainly don't wish that to happen. Um, although, statistically speaking... 
suicide does increase in the back half of, of a school class, I think it would have to be a lot more for, for it to actually change, though. Maybe I'm wrong. And he didn't give a percentage on that quote, right? That stat. Yeah. But he, he did say suicide is, is literally higher among the back half of a group of students in any school year. Which, again, a super real-world example of how those little, the little accumulative advantage or disadvantage can really affect someone's life. Um, yeah, I see what you're saying, though. Um, I don't know what would have to happen. I mean, you'd think that if enough people knew that statistic in, in high positions, which you think they should... Well, even then, like, but, if they don't have a, a benefit for themselves for doing it, I just don't see it happening. Also, I guess the best way, in my opinion, to make something like this would happen, uh, make something like this happen, would be to start doing it yourself. Like, make a private school and have have it divided up like this and then follow it and have like an actual scientist come in and, and track everything and create a study out of it and then show it to people and be like, hey, look, this is better. I think that might be able to work and cause some change, but I, I don't know. That would, you, that would make sense that you would, a school that did that would probably have higher test scores, right? Yeah. Because they wouldn't discourage as many students and they would encourage more students. Because more would be, yeah, fewer would feel like they are, fewer would lose confidence because they wouldn't be comparing themselves to kids that are nine, ten months older yeah. than them. And I think to do that, I mean, that'd be really hard, though, because you'd also have to standardize the, the teaching. Not every teacher's the same. Yeah. I mean, there's no concrete evidence that, uh, I mean, maybe because you're a private school, you can just hire better teachers. Maybe people would explain it away that way with that but I don't know maybe because you're a private school uh, I, I don't I don't know I have no idea but yeah irregardless very interesting <laughs> very interesting topic so yeah uh, we will be back with more of this very interesting book and hopefully have more insight so thanks for listening and we'll see you again next time bye